0: So, I was on Facebook the other day, and I saw somebody talk about the Pathways to Permanency program, and I thought, we all need to know more about this, so uh, I reached out to Morgan, and Morgan said, yes, I'll absolutely come on your podcast and tell you about it, so thank you, Morgan, for your time and um, for telling us about this really amazing resource that I'm surprised not more of us know about. You're very welcome. Happy to have you. So, tell us about the program, the Pathways to Permanency program.
1: Yeah. So, so Pathways to Permanency is a it's a statewide program um, that we um, it's a it's a specialized uh, family uh, support and state service for DCF, um, and so it's a statewide contract which allows us to provide um, Pathways to Permanency services to foster and pre adoptive and adoptive families across the state. Uh, that the DCF has decided that, you know, they're, we're an appropriate service for. Um, and so pathways to permanency, one of the beautiful things about it is that it's so flexible. Um, so our, like, if I were to to give our service sort of a a name, it would be caregiver consultation. Um, but the way that that caregiver consultation can look varies based on the needs of the family, right? So if, it, if a family um, is having a really hard time, you know, getting their foster kid Uh, tapped into community resources or finding appropriate providers or figuring out what their foster kiddo needs, we can help do that. If a foster parent is really struggling with like, ah, I'm suddenly a parent. What does this mean for me? And this is really difficult. We can help with that. Um, You know, if, if foster siblings are having a hard time of like, wait a minute, now there's a new kid in my house. What's that Mm -hmm. like? Like We can support the parents around kind of figuring out what, what kids who are already in the home need. Um, It's really, you know, we are, we're there to support the parents, to, to help them kind of figure out whatever it is that they need in regards to their, you know, experience as a, a foster pre-adoptive or adoptive parent. Do you work
0: with any birth parents whose children are in foster care or strictly with the foster pre-adoptive kinship parents?
1: Yeah, so we sometimes is the short answer. Um, so the long answer is... Uh, we're sort of assigned to the kiddo's placement, um, and so our our first priority is the the foster, adoptive, or pre-adoptive family. Um, but with with you know one of those places that the foster pre-adoptive family may need support is about kind of navigating navigating that relationship with the birth parent who's maybe involved in having visits or those sorts of things. And so, you know, we do have that flexibility, if it makes sense within the context of that particular case, to meet with the the birth family and and talk to them and talk to the family, um, you know, and and try to figure out, okay, how are we going to make this work in a way that works for the adults and is beneficial for the kid and and kind of comes together in the best way possible. Um, But we wouldn't be assigned to just a birth family when the kiddo is in care somewhere else.
0: Okay, so um, so you're not a, a resource for birth parents who are working toward
1: reunification. No, unfortunately not. Not not through pathways to permanency. Um, right, right. So this do, particular there are other program. options, but there not are yeah. there there are, other, there are yeah. certainly other
0: resources yeah. um, which are very important as well. Um, so do you work with children directly or only with the adults involved?
1: Yeah, so so sometimes. Um, I mean, my answer to most questions I know. about you kind know, of what it's the gonna, it's gonna be it depends on sometimes, right? <laughs> <It depends. laughs> um But you know, so so it may be, so for instance, maybe maybe I'm working with a family and they're they're having a really hard time with the morning routine, right? And they're like, Oh, I just kid, you know, I'm having such a hard time getting a kiddo off to school and you know, it's driving me nuts. Okay cool. So I, you know, I would probably work with the parents. Um, I may chat with the kiddo some to kind of see from their angle, what, what's getting in the way of the morning routine, you know, what's not working for them. What suggestions do they have? Um, but it it is primarily about supporting the parents right so i might have some conversations with the kiddo so that then i can go back to the parents and say okay based on you know what your child said and based on what y'all have said you know here's what i'm thinking might work you know what do you think can we put something together let's try it you know give it a give it a shot see if it needs tweaking and so from that way like I'm, we may work with the children in the home, either either what we call the identified child, um, so the the child that DCF has has referred, um, or other kids in the house, but we are like we're not providing therapy to that child. We're not like we are not a replacement for that kiddo having other therapeutic services for them.
0: So that actually leads me to the question I was going to ask next. So
1: how so are are these services provided in the home? so p2p is um we we actually have used the the pandemic to sort of rearrange things a little bit in in a way that i think is really cool and we're planning to keep Thanks. um because you know since covid happened and and so everybody's doing telehealth we're like hmm' What if we connect families based on the the expertise of the particular staff and who has immediate openings rather than who's geographically closest and that has been working amazing. Right. Um, so our plan is to to keep that up even you know even after other services go back in person to remain, telehealth Um, and and not only does that allow us to you know match the best staff possible for each family regardless of where they live you know we could have somebody in the berkshires who has a clinician who lives on the cape totally fine if it's telehealth Um, the other thing that we have found is is because we are primarily parent consultation being a a foster pre-adoptive adoptive parent who like then figures out how to find time to have sessions with their kids somewhere else like that's super difficult. And so it by having it telehealth mm-hmm. the kids can be watching TV in the next room or you know we can be on the phone while you're you know running between appointments and those sorts of things. And so it gives us a lot of flexibility in the way that we can offer support to to parents.
0: Okay. And so how does this differ from something like IHT, in-home therapy, or other sorts of therapeutic support programs?
1: Yeah. So, so there, are, there are little bits of, of other services that we sort of take on, right? So, you know, when we're helping a family figure out what services their kid needs, are helping them find a day camp or those sorts of things like we're sort of dabbling in intensive care coordination and you know when we're having conversations with parents around caregiver affect management and how are we gonna you know support this kiddo it starts to look a bit a little bit like in-home therapy and Mm -hmm. but i think one of the one of the main differences is is our flexibility that we can sort of be in and out of these different roles depending on what the family needs Um, so that's that's the biggest difference um you know, the I think we most commonly get confused with in-home therapy, and yeah. the big difference there is in-home therapy is providing therapy to that youth and their family, um, and and we're we're not doing that. So you know, the caregiver consultation is just sort of the caregiver piece, mm-hmm. um, but we have had really really awesome experiences working with those other teams that may be working with a family. So working alongside that in-home therapy team or working along with that intensive care coordinator or, or outpatient or whomever. And so sort of figuring out, okay, what are you doing? All right, this is what I'm doing. Here's how we're gonna help these puzzle pieces fit in nicely so that nothing's falling through the cracks for the family. Yeah. And there are, I mean, these are,
0: these are families, I'm assuming, whose, whose kiddos have really high needs and who might be um, in, in danger of, of disrupting a placement or, you know, yeah. if those needs are, um, are overwhelming families' capacities to meet them. So I'm imagining that these families um, probably already have other therapeutic or support services, and you're often coming on in addition to some of those other things. Is that, is that the case?
1: Yeah, sometimes. Other times, you know, there is a lot going on in the house, but nobody really knows where to start. And so we're going to put P2P in there and they're going to figure it out. Okay. And so then we work with the family to kind of figure out what is going on, what's, you know, what's difficult. And, you know, oh, okay. Well, maybe we should make a referral for in home behavioral services or, you know, maybe the kiddo needs outpatient therapy. And so then we can support the family in identifying what services are going to work for them and what services are going to be helpful in helping to get them connected to services. Um, And, you know, and sometimes we're with families that there aren't actually presenting problems with the youth and it's just the context right like you know if there's sort of cultural differences between the kiddo and the family like nobody's doing anything wrong but you know we're we're going to come in and and help kind of figure out okay how can we make these things match up a little bit differently Mm -hmm. or you know if the parents are really struggling with with you know their extended family or their community or whomever's sort of reaction to them opting to foster or or adopt or you know those sorts of things and so it it's not always that there's a a clinical component. Right, right. That, yeah. that You know, there's some reason that, you know, due to behaviors or risk factors, a placement might disrupt. We definitely do work with families where that's the case. Okay. But it doesn't have to be that. Okay. Okay, great. So this isn't, so this
0: isn't necessarily like a last resort kind of resource where yeah. families <laughs> who are like, We're gonna give notice. And then DCF is like, well, let's try this first. That's not what we're talking about necessarily
1: here. I mean, we get lots of referrals that are that, um, but if I had a magic wand, we would be going into those homes six months or earlier. earlier. We get that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause we
0: don't, I mean, obviously we don't want a family to get to that point um, for sure. So is there a particular family or a particular family situation that you would say, you know, this is a good, candidate for these sorts of resources and this service?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, so again, if I had my magic wand, I would put P2P in for every new foster family, right? Because it doesn't matter how prepared you think you are, or how well you listened in maps like that first placement is a doozy for many families. And, you know, regardless of, of the needs of the kiddo, um, you know, so I I would love it if we could, you know, go in with families with their first placement, um, certainly any family where, you know, I, I wish that we could go in when families start to talk amongst themselves of, is this going to work? rather than waiting until they're talking to either their comprehensive foster care agency or DCF saying, I don't know that I can do this, right, because they've had conversations, like they've been thinking that for a while by the time Mm -hmm. it comes to to DCF or or the CFC agency and and I, I really wish that we could get in when they start to wonder that, right, because then we can start to help figure out okay what pieces do we need to tweak, what do we need to advocate for, what other services do we need to find What psychoed does this caregiver need to be able to support Mm -hmm. their child, right? Like all of these different things. But if we wait until crisis point, not that we can't do anything, but like, of course, it's a lot harder at that point. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) never
0: the best time. Right. (laughs) For sure, for sure. Now, it's uh, so I was reading about referral and it sounds Mm -hmm. like DCF makes the referral. Um, Is that always the case or can families self refer? Is there another way to get into the program?
1: Yeah. So, so DCF does always have to make the referral. So they foot the bill. They have to make the referral that said, you know, even though we're a statewide program and and even though we've been around for a while, many, many offices and certainly many individual workers don't know that we're available. Yep. Um, you know, because maybe they've heard we're just in Boston and that's, you know, that's not true or, you know, and there, there aren't a whole lot of like Statewide contracts where you use the same program regardless mm-hmm. of where you are in the state. Yep. Um, and so, you know, if a family, you know, if if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I want these people and you know, in, involved in in my my life and my kid's life, please. I mean, support. I think that every single person I know
0: who's involved in foster care, <laughs> either right now or at some point in the past, or probably at some point in the future, yeah. would benefit <laughs> from this kind of of support.
1: Absolutely. And, and so, you know, I, I, our our outreach attempts are, are you know, kind of kind of twofold, right? Like one where we're constantly talking to, to DCF offices and, and trying to get the word out and trying to, you know, help workers connect to services. And, you know, I, I very much want families to know about this, right? Because mm-hmm. what I have seen thus far is the fastest way to get a referral is to tell your DCF worker, hey, I found out about this thing. Can we please have it? Okay. Right. And then you'll get the like, oh well, I don't know. Is right. that about it? Yeah. You know, and, and give them my contact information. I'm happy to chat with, you know, anybody about about this service and and getting it sorted out. Would anybody be denied once a referral is made? Like is there is there are there any denial criteria that a family would meet? No. If DCF has decided we're appropriate, we will we will do what we can for that family.
0: Okay. And um, what kind of wait list do you have?
1: Because um, I, I know when everybody's yeah.
0: talking these days about, I need this support service, but there's this big, long well, wait list.
1: What's going on with that in your program? Absolutely. So right now we don't have any wait. <laughs> now, mind totally. you, that can change, you know, 15 minutes. Oh, we got 20 referrals and it's a very well, difficult. Well, I think maybe when this podcast <laughs> airs, <laughs> yeah. you're going to want to yeah. jump the gun. Yep. Get in so there. We don't have a wait right now. Um, You know, usually our... our referrals usually kind of trickle in usually we get one or two new referrals a month um and you know we can typically service you know get get to those families within a week or two of getting the referral um that can certainly change you know if we if we got a a huge pile all at once i can't necessarily promise that we could keep that up um certainly, you know, we're, we're in touch with families. So I, I usually reach out to families or, or at least to DCF within 24 hours of getting the referral with a, like, all right, here's what we've got. Um, you know, and maybe it's a, like, here's your clinician, they'll call you back tomorrow and to set up an intake. Sometimes it's a like, "Hmm, well, it's going to take a week, but you know, I've got somebody in mind. We're gonna, we're gonna get you in as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it should happen pretty quickly because we know that, like, like if a family is is in a position where they're looking for pathways to permanency services, they need that support now, you know. And, right. and so we don't want to let them like hanging out waiting for this right. thing, right? <laughs> right. And you mentioned DCF putting the bill. Is is there ever an out of pocket cost for families? No. Um. No. So we have we have done, um, private pay in the past for families, um, but private pay services of any kind are just so cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. Um, so as long as like, as long as we're a a DCF referral and you know, it's like, nobody would be surprised that they're set up for private pay. Absolutely not. Um, it's no cost to families at all. And is it built to mass health at all? Or is it built to DCF? So, it's it's billed to DCF. And, and okay. part of what's nice about that is it means that we're not a duplication of any CBHI services that you right. might be reserve, uh, receiving because MassHealth doesn't have anything to do with us.
0: Okay. Okay. So, kids, so families don't have to worry about there being duplication or any insurance issues or anything like that. It's just completely a contract with DCF. You're yep. referred, you receive the service, there's no cost and there's no insurance billing. Bingo how long
1: can families uh, participate? So that's that's really up to DCF. Um, so some cases, you know, DCF says, you know, we want this to be a pretty short case. We're thinking in and out in three months. So that's what we aim for. We've also had some P2P cases that have been open for four years.
0: Wow, okay. Um,
1: so it's, you know, it's really it's about- that
0: sometimes and it depends on flexibility thing. Again.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I'm getting it. (laughs) They they don't usually commit to any more than three months at a time. Um, But you know, if if the family is is getting like is being supported by the service and it's useful to them and it's making a difference in their ability to provide permanency for this youth, um, and DCF knows that and DCF looks at it and says, "Yep, this is important. Let's keep doing it." We can do it in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, mm-hmm. as long as the, the family still needs it and DCF is is still on board. And yeah, and and, and the family's benefiting mm-hmm. from it. Absolutely.
0: Once a family finalizes a, an
1: adoption, are they eligible for P2P services? That's between the family and DCF. Okay. Um, so DCF can, my understanding is, you know, continue to, to fund those services after an adoption is finalized. Um, I can't think of any cases off the top of my head where that has happened, mm-hmm. um, but we will, we will work with whatever family DCF says, please work with this family for.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think my question was specifically for families who have adopted and closed with DCF, yeah. um, as opposed to a family who has adopted but is still open for other placements, they would certainly be eligible for those placements. Yeah. Um, One thing I haven't heard you talk about, which is interesting to me, because the first time I heard about pathways to permanency was in the context of court. Is there anything that you do related to court and, um,
1: and, and the court process at all? Um I mean so we we support caregivers through that process um okay. and and certainly dealing with court dates and things can be a very fraught <laughs> experience Absolutely. Um you know but we're like we don't we don't do parenting evaluations or okay. or any of those sorts of things that would like get brought to the court as as evidence. Um again JRI as a as a whole has services that offer that but but pathways mm-hmm. to permanency in specific does not.
0: Okay. Great. Now, the folks who are involved, the staff people who are involved mm-hmm. in this kind of program, strike me as people who would need to have some pretty unique um, characteristics and experiences absolutely. and maybe training. Yeah, um, so
1: absolutely.
0: can you tell us a little bit about who these
1: folks are and, and where they come from and how they've become involved in this kind of work? Yeah, so so Pathways to Permanency, it's, it's, it's cool because we... Um, we have staff from lots of different JRI programs who are involved. And you know what, I haven't asked you what JRI is. Ah, all right, well, we'll but we'll back up. So JRI <laughs> is Justice Resource Institute, um, which is our kind of parent agency. Okay. Um, which is based out of Boston, but but JRI has programs in throughout Massachusetts and Connecticut and Rhode Island. Um, so there's lots of JRI around. Really? Um, and so, so the staff, so... We, we're, we're a specialized team that you know many of the staff are are from from my program GRIP community based services, um, but we also have staff from from other JRI programs as well. And so, when we are kind of looking at at adding somebody to the team, we're looking for staff who preferably have lived experience with the foster care and adoption system, um, either that they were a foster adoptive kiddo themselves, um, that that they. They have been a foster adoptive parent, um, or you know, that maybe they were siblings to, to foster adopted kiddos. Um, and so most of our most of our staff have this lived experience. Um, some of our staff just have professional experience, but when I say like just have, I mean like <laughs> we're talking decades, right? Um, years and years of, and years and years of working with with foster youth, pre-adoptive youth and and their families, because you know, we really given that the the purpose of this service is caregiver consultation, we need people who understand this, this system, this experience, right, who haven't just like read the like handout and oh, well, Mm -hmm. you are, you know, magically eligible for these many respite days a year. And like, we know that the lived experience is not that simple. It's complicated. Um, Yeah, absolutely. it's It's incredibly complicated. And so all of our staff have have been around the system enough to understand that complicatedness mm-hmm. to understand that like yep there's the way things are supposed to work mm-hmm. sometimes they work that way sometimes they get a little unexpected that's right and we go with it, right? And so, you know, so it's so so important that that our pathways to permanency staff have a really really firm understanding of that, and a really firm understanding of of how complicated it can be as a foster or pre-adoptive parent. You know that that is a that is a emotionally challenging experience, even if it is wonderful in eighteen thousand other ways. Like there are still yep. things that are funky about it and hard about it and and you sound like someone who's been around the block I have I have (laughs) and all of my staff have I mean for me personally I've been a foster parent for oh goodness a while a long while Mm. Mm, eight years maybe Mm -hmm. um you know, and, and so between that and having worked in residential settings and, and worked in community-based settings and so worked with lots and lots of families, you know, I I, I am able to bring to this work and, and my staff are able to bring to this work an understanding of of the, the nuances, right? And and that's not at all to say that a family wouldn't have anything to teach us. We, we absolutely learn all sorts of things from every family we work with. But it also means that you know, you're not trying to educate your provider on like, well, actually, you know, yes, the pamphlet says this thing, but this is what foster care actually works like, right, because right. we have that experience.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was just going to ask you something and it, it flew right out of my head. So um, what, so, so, and, and these are staff who can be anywhere in the state mm-hmm. and are <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. the state. Um, and you match them based on what folks need. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that you think is important for our community to
1: know about? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I, I think the, the most important thing about P2P to know is that, that we are, we are, absolutely 110% here to help. You know, so sometimes we have families who like DCF has put in a P2P referral and the family's like, mm, I don't know about this. Why are mm-hmm. you here? And there's, you know, there's sort of this little awkward dance as we get to know each other. Cause they're like, ah, uh, this is my first placement. Cause sometimes we do get those first placement referrals. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't need you. And we're like, okay, well, let us, let us know. Cause that's probably going to change, yeah. um, you know, but, but, but it is like, we are, we are really and truly there to support the family, to help them figure out what's going to work for them. Sometimes that is, you know, figuring out how to make a placement stick. Sometimes yeah. it's not. And, you know, and we, we're there 110% for that, ride, you know, yeah. which, whichever is going to work. And, out and what a ride it is. Right? That as is you will know, as <laughs> you will know,
0: you know, one of the things that strikes me it, being a part of this community and meeting folks who are, who sort of split their selves into a professional commitment and a personal commitment is that so many of us just have, are fueled by this passion, right? A passion to help families help their children and um you know and do everything that we can to meet the needs of children in foster care and one of the things that struck me about you even even through you know even through social media is like wow you really care about this program and you really care about these families and it seems like this is really meaningful work to you
1: yeah yeah it is i mean it like i I know from my first placement experience, right? I'm a, I'm a social worker. I'm a, I was a licensed social worker, even at the time. And I got my first placement. I was in over my head. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, what's going on. Right. But, but I should, I should know all these things. Cause I have all this schooling and it's just, mm-hmm. like it's just hard. Right. And, mm-hmm. and we got through it and came into a routine and, and whatever. And, and, you know, prevailed, I suppose, by some definition. But like you survived. Survived. (laughs) Yes. I like that. Survived. Everybody survived. Right. But like, but it's it's hard stuff. And I feel like so often foster and and pre-adoptive and adoptive families, like we get sort of cornered into one of two piles, right? Either the like my heart is so big and I love all the babies and you know I want to take care of everyone and I never struggle with this at all. Mm -hmm. Or the like woe is me, the world has put on me and, you know, I'm, I'm a martyr to this. Right. And like, and I don't think either of those piles are all the way accurate for every, like for, for anybody. Yeah. Certainly not all the time. Right. Like you may have moments where you're more in one than than the other, but like, sure. it's just really complicated. And I, and I know for me, at least as a foster parent, I, I felt like I had a hard time asking for help. Mm-hmm. Because I kept like, you know, my 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 own sort of internal monologue was like, you should know this, you should know this. Like you've wanted to do this for years, like this should be easy, but it's not easy. And <laughs> like mm-hmm. and and so really trying to normalize that that this is difficult. It doesn't make it like it's not inherently so difficult. That we shouldn't do it we absolutely should because we do like we do want all of our kids to all of our kids uh, to 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 have what they need to to grow and thrive and and become their best selves and we also can't pretend like that's easy all the time because it's yeah. not and and families to become
0: their best selves, right? And foster right. parents right. to become their best Absolutely. selves, so that we can maintain that commitment. And I think that is exactly where um, there's a huge amount of overlap between your program and AOK, because that's exactly what we're here for, right? Is to provide that kind of support so that families have the ability to maintain that commitment, so they don't um, burn out any sooner than they have to, so they don't feel isolated any more than they have to. Um, so they can continue to be a resource for these kids because now more than ever, and I feel like I say this every year, <laughs> but now more than ever, we cannot afford to lose any foster parents that we already Absolutely. have. Um, so if, if folks are interested in learning more um, or interested in you know giving the information to their yeah. social worker <laughs> so their social <laughs> worker can
1: learn more, um, where should they go and who should they contact? yeah so so we have a pathways to permanency page on the the jri website so you can literally google jri pathways to permanency and it'll come up for you um folks can also get in touch with me so my email address is m c r o u s E-R at J-R-I org. So mkrauser at J-R-I um, So you can email me, I can send you, we have a, a little one pager that really looks like the website as far as the information <laughs> contained, but, you know, it's sometimes easier to pass along as a PDF than as a, as a website. Um, mm-hmm. Folks can also call or text me. So my work cell is area code 978-799-7397. Um, So folks can reach me that way. I mean, really, whatever is going to work. You are not inaccessible. I am not inaccessible. (laughs) Nope,
0: nope. And if you are listening to this through our website, we will also link all of this information on our website. So if you're listening through Stitcher, iTunes or somewhere else, um, feel free to go to our website and, and we'll link you to that information as well. Morgan. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have learned more about this program and I join you in singing its praises and um, getting the word out and seeing how many folks uh, we can reach who really need the resource.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much. Thank you.